Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 510. What should you look for and know about travel insurance, especially if you're looking to book it? Is it worth it? And what are the most important things about it? We're talking about the most important things to know about travel insurance before you buy up next. Oftentimes, I talk about it's a really good idea to have travel insurance as part of your cruise planning process, and I usually just leave it just at that. I mention it and kind of leave it up to you to find it. But inevitably, a lot of people have questions about travel insurance because they're not sure where to start, where they make certain assumptions about it. There's questions about the issues altogether. And quite frankly, even I admit, it can be a little cumbersome, especially if you're new to buying travel insurance, why you should get it, how it works, and what you should look for, really, because they're not all the same. And I am not a travel insurance expert by any means. So actually, I had an opportunity to bring Stan Sandberg on to the podcast, who is the co-founder of TravelInsurance.com. Stan, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me, Matt. I'm uh, very happy to be here. Great. You know, travel insurance is, is, when I first started cruising, Stan, I never got it. I thought it was, I don't want to say a waste of money, but I just thought, like, I don't need travel insurance. I'll be fine. And then, of course... Sooner or later, we ran into a cruise in which we really could have used travel insurance. Um, and I feel like these days, with whether it's a hurricane, whether it's just airlines in general, it could be the middle of spring, and you get like a Southwest issue, right, where the airlines just, you know, oops, we're mm-hmm. in today. Um, there's a yeah. lot of reasons why travel insurance is so important beyond a hurricane, although that is a very good reason to get it. Anyway, regardless of that, yeah. um, a lot of people struggle with buying it because I think I think like all insurance, you know, it seems unnecessary until you actually need it. So can you explain to somebody why it, it is actually important to get travel insurance for their cruise? Absolutely. Well, you know, first, Matt, what you've just described is the classic uh, story for people who uh, haven't yet purchased travel insurance. Um, uh, you know, there's still a large segment of the market that uh, is skeptical for uh, about the product itself. And part of that is because people historically, U.S. travelers at least, and, and specifically cruise travelers, haven't really had an opportunity to uh, get to know what the value proposition is of travel insurance. And I, we will be getting there in two seconds. But I just wanted to say that that you are not alone in that um, that that, that uh, um you know, thinking about travel insurance and do I really need it or not? I think there has been a lot of skepticism in the market. Um, and so travelinsurance.com, when we launched the business, it was really to address what you've just described, to address the U.S. travelers' concerns about the product and to simplify it, make it super easy, make it a, a, an easy way to compare. And um, and that's that's when we came into the market before we launched and before I launched TravelInsurance.com. Actually, hadn't really bought it myself either. And then, uh, thankfully, the 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 first big trip that I took with travel insurance, it was during the hurricane season. And sure enough airport closed down, needed to use the travel insurance in order to uh, change the uh, the return portion of our family trip. And it was all taken care of. And of course, I became uh, a convert at that point in time. Um, but, but getting into the yeah, the the range of reasons why people should consider travel insurance today, uh, you listed some of them. The delays by airlines, the 
uh, uh, the pilots, you know, the threatened pilot strike, uh, the FAA shutdowns, uh, and uh, again, as you mentioned, and very important to uh, to cruise travelers, especially in the uh, southeast and in the Atlantic and Caribbean, uh, the hurricane season. Um, you know, all of these sort of perils that are out there that can disrupt one's trip uh, can uh, a lot of that inconvenience and potential expense can be alleviated and be, and be taken care of with good coverage in a travel insurance plan. Yeah, it's again, I get so many questions and I read so many posts from people who run into situations. They're unforeseen. That's the thing. This isn't something that you can yeah. necessarily anticipate all that well. You lose your job, you get sick or somebody you love gets sick. Uh, your mm -hmm. breaks down. I mean, there's a variety of reasons why at the last minute you cannot make your cruise and you can give the biggest sob story to the cruise lines, you're not getting your money back. It's just not, that's not how right. it works. And travel insurance comes in handy in so many scenarios, big and small. Sometimes it's just, you know, you, you, you yeah, twisted yeah. your ankle in port and you needed to go get a splinter. I don't know what they do with twisted ankles these days, but yeah, you, know I mean? you gotta go see a doctor. Absolutely. You know, it's not always just monumental thousands of dollars. It could be $500, $100. Yeah, and I think, you know, for the first time travel insurance buyer, I think it's important to think about travel insurance as taking care of two potential issues. The first is, uh, as you described, the trip cancellation piece. So what happens if you get sick before you uh, before you're departing on your cruise? Um, what happens if a hurricane uh, or a storm or something occurs that, that prevents you from going on your trip uh, before you've left? Trip cancellation coverage is going to uh, take care of the prepaid non-refundable trip costs that you have sunk into the trip uh, and that you are uh, you know, potentially going to lose if one of these things happens. So travel insurance is really um, going to protect your wallet in that sense. Um, and then the second component of travel insurance is sometimes what we refer to as post-departure benefits. And these are the things you refer to as, uh, as such as emergency medical expense coverage. So if you, uh, if you twist the ankle or you get a stomach flu or uh, you get, for instance, COVID, for instance, which is still out there, uh, your medical expenses will be covered under uh, a, a standard travel insurance plan. Uh, if the sickness or accident is so severe uh, and you might be looking at a, an emergency medical evacuation, that's going to be provided for in a standard travel insurance plan. And then you have, uh, as part of these post-departure benefits, also what are a little more of the uh, taking care of travel inconveniences. So, um, uh, for instance, if if there's trip delay uh, and you're delayed at the airport or you're, you're, you've uh, delayed enough to miss a connection, uh, the travel insurance will provide some coverage for the additional transportation cost. Maybe there's a uh, hotel night that, that you have to take care of, the food and internet costs. So, it, again, it's going to... Uh, alleviate some of the sting of one of these travel disruptions. Absolutely. You know, I think if the first uh, most commonly misconceived notion about travel insurance is that you may or may not need it. The second one is that, okay, I hear you guys. I'm just going to get any travel insurance plan. I'm just going to pick the first one I get, usually from the cruise line. 
But I think that's a mistake because, you know, it's really common misconception that the policies are all the same. So, Stan, if you buy um, travel insurance, how do you explain why the policy you choose actually matters? Because it's not like you it's co- it covers every single scenario on Earth. Sure. And, and you know, there um, th- there are a lot of ways to, 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 you know, to, to slice this one. Um, and, and part of it just starts from what is your uh, particular concern. You know, what, what, as, as, as a traveler, what are your particular concerns? Um, uh, and as you said, you know, not all travel insurance plans are created equal. Uh, you know, one of those concerns might be that, okay, I have a, a, a chronic health issue. Uh, and if I have a flare up of this chronic health issue, uh, you know, what happens? Is there a travel insurance plan that will cover that? Uh, many plans offer what's called a pre existing condition exclusion waiver. And many plans don't. So if you have a concern about a existing health condition that might flare up, that might be a reason why you have to either end the trip early or maybe not go at all, you will want to purchase a plan that has a pre-existing condition waiver. Um, and so, again, it's important to uh, to look for those things. Um the you know the, there are plans that will offer uh, some of the what I called earlier the travel convenience coverages and some actually are designed specifically for cruisers. So, for instance, if there is uh, uh, if your cruise has to miss one of the ports of call that you were really looking forward to uh, at no fault of your own, uh, there might be compensation uh, built into the travel insurance plan for having missed this port of call. Um, if you are a river cruiser in some locations, if the river cruise can't go because the water levels are too high or too low, that could be a, um, a, a covered reason in a plan. So there are, you know, there, there, there are plans out there that are specifically designed for cruisers and um, you might actually not get those uh in a plan that's offered by the cruise company themselves, um, uh, it, you know, in many ways, um, you know, the, and in all cruise companies are going to have an option for uh, you to to, to consider. Um, uh, we th- still believe it's a best practice as a consumer to see what your choices are, as opposed to taking that uh, you know that single choice the cruise company is pitching you. Uh, you can very quickly go to a comparison site and see what your other options are. And you can compare uh, even on a line by line basis, how much coverage is going to be included in one or the other. I think as a general rule, what we found when you're looking at the insurance that's offered by an airline or a cruise company, the covered reasons uh, for trip cancellation uh, tend to be uh, fewer and um, you know it, it, it it's a maybe more skeletal offering um, and uh, and so uh, you know what uh, for most people uh, by going and comparing and looking for the other options that are available across different providers uh, you can typically find something that's uh, more cost effective with more benefits and higher coverage limits. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it's it's 
like many people, yeah, most people shop today uh, on comparison sites, whether it be for their airlines, their hotels, or quite frankly, even their cruises. Uh, and and we're just providing an opportunity to uh, take the last step and and compare the um, the coverages for travel insurance. Yep. And let me tell you something. Every time someone asks me about travel insurance and what to get, I'm like, oh, I can't tell you what you should be looking for. But websites like yourself, like your website, travelinsurance.com, where you can compare plans, I think is really helpful because you don't know what you don't know. And until you start really getting into it, uh, not only is not that just like you find maybe the lowest price, but also what are the coverages? How does it work? It's important to read the policy um, and, and, and understand it along those lines, Stan. If someone wants yeah. to jump around, they're like, all right, Stan, you sold me. I'm going to go to travelinsurance.com right now. What are the most important things to look for in a policy to understand how each policy stacks up? How do you distinguish between what makes one policy, quote unquote, better than another? Well, I think um, with respect to travel insurance, it's when you come in the front door, um, we're working with really the top uh, insurance carriers in, in the market, uh, the most well-known uh, brands, uh, for instance, Generali, um, uh, AIG Travel Guard, uh, TravelX, yeah, some of the, the, the names. So that, that when someone's shopping on our site, you don't have to worry about who is this company that I'm working with. I think uh, that's a little different than some of the other approaches where it's about, you know, throwing everybody in the kitchen sink uh, on the site. And then, you know, it makes it a little harder to navigate. Nevertheless, um, uh, when we uh, uh, present options on our site, we are doing so in a way that makes it extremely transparent uh, really easy. Uh, every benefit detail is one click away, so you can see what's covered under trip cancellation. Uh, you can see what's covered uh, under travel medical expense. And so, you know, I think, you know, in with respect to, to cruisers, I think it's important, uh, uh, and certainly different times of the year, to look for plans that um, really address the biggest risks uh, to a trip. Uh, we are uh, smack in the middle of the Atlantic hurricane season. And at any given time, you can look on the NOAA uh, or the National Hurricane Center's website and you can see the storms that are percolating. Um, some plans actually will cover a cancellation uh, due to a warning, a NOAA warning of a hurricane that's uh, uh, that's set to hit your destination. So that's something that you can look for. Um, uh, it's important just to uh, point out uh, as a reminder, you mentioned that insurance is about covering the unforeseen events and, and disruptive risks. Um, once a storm is named, it is no longer an unforeseen event. So that's why it's really important for people to buy travel insurance early in their booking process. Uh, and buy it, you know, before the the peril is out there in front of you. So once a storm is named, you can't buy insurance to insure against that particular storm. You can always insure against the next one, but uh, that's why we we always suggest buy early. That leads me to my next question, actually, Sam, because some people might be listening to this, and whether it's hurricane season or not, they just want to know. Okay, you know, I want to get travel insurance, but I booked this cruise like a year ago. So how close to sailing can you still book travel insurance and it cover you know, the policy cover your cruise? 
Oh, sure. So uh, travel insurance as a uh, general rule can be purchased really right up until the day prior to your departure day. Uh, practically speaking, if you were looking for trip cancellation coverage, though, uh, you're losing some of that benefit the closer you get to your departure date. Of course, you a plan will also will always provide the post-departure benefits, but that period of time between the day you purchase the plan or rather the effective date, which is the day right after you purchase the plan, uh, through your departure date, that's the, the period in which you would want trip cancellation coverage. So if you were to get COVID or something were to happen, weather-related shutdowns, mechanical failure of, a, of an airline, you know, uh, work-related, school-related, there's generally a long list of reasons why uh, standard travel insurance will cover a cancellation. Um, and so, um, you know, during that period, um, you will want coverage. Uh, and again, as as you get closer to your departure date, uh, you maybe uh, are less likely to have, um, you know, uh, something happen, you know, that will cause you to have to cancel. Uh, and remember, if something does happen that would cause you to have to cancel and you haven't purchased your travel insurance yet, it's too late to buy it for that. So that's, again, why we recommend buying it early. But if you want just the post-departure benefits, you could do that the day before your departure date. Good to know. Good to know. I wanted to piggyback on something you mentioned. I think we kind of alluded to it, touched on it, but I want you to stand. I want you to, to talk about this more directly. Uh, yeah. I think, a, I think a misconception among people is, oh, I have travel insurance. If there's a hurricane and you're a week away from your cruise, let's say, Cruise is still happening. Nothing's changed. Nothing's been canceled. Nothing's been altered. But you're like a week away. The news is bearing down. They can't, you know, they're salivating. The storm is going to be a Category 5. It's headed right for wherever these people are cruising from. They want. They don't want to go on the cruise anymore. Tra travel insurance does not cover that scenario unless you have a certain kind of plan. Is that right? Yeah. So in, in that scenario, uh, you would need a plan with a cancel for any reason. Uh, coverage option uh, in standard uh, travel insurance plans. It's it's sold as a um, typically sold as an optional upgrade. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, the that's that type of plan um, will cover you quite frankly for any reason, and that's why it's called canceled for any reason. It covers you uh, for anything that's not already provided for in the plan, the the standard plan, the standard coverage. So. Uh, you know, some of the sort of, you know, considerations to know about cancel for any reason, it typically doesn't reimburse 100% of the trip costs, it'll, uh, it'll reimburse 75% of the trip costs on some more reasonably priced plans, it'll reimburse 50% of the trip costs. In order to purchase a plan with cancel for any reason, you have to purchase that plan within a fairly strict time frame from uh, when you've made your initial booking or payment or deposit towards the trip. And that uh, time frame can range anywhere from seven days to 21 days. And so um, if uh, yeah, within that period you purchase the, the plan and you want the full sort of scope of, of coverage, you could select a plan and, and purchase the cancel for any reason upgrade. Now, for people who might be just putting a small deposit down on a trip and then making payments over the course of the next six to nine months, 
what one would do is uh, buy the insurance with the cancel for any reason uh, for the amount of the deposit. And then when you make subsequent payments towards the cruise or the trip, you would then add those to the policy. And it's a simple phone call, or in some cases, an email to the provider uh, to increase the trip costs that are being covered. And you will uh, you know, continue to have uh, the cancel for any reason coverage. Great. Um, that, that's really helpful. Because again, I think that uh, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about travel insurance out there, and and I think this is really helpful to help folks understand what they need to look for when we talked about earlier about you know looking at the policy and and how to understand how each policy stacks up. And it's what you said, Stan, earlier. You know, go. I think most people go into it with this kind of an idea of the number one reason I'm getting travel insurance is for this particular scenario. Not to say that they're not, not interested in other scenarios, but make sure you are crystal clear on the policy when it kicks in, how it kicks in, and that it's not just, oh, I have travel insurance. It covers every possible scenario, <laughs> in, in which case I don't go on the cruise, which is not necessarily the case. And, you know, it's just about being informed, not making assumptions. Yeah, right. And, um, you know, look, I, I, I think it's important to mention, um, uh, I think because of your, um, your, your website, um, uh, you know, Royal Caribbean um, has uh, has an offering. Uh, it's a single vendor offering. Um, the trip cancellation piece is is not actually insurance at all. It's uh, considered a a waiver of the of the cancellation fees. Um, uh, you know, and it's important to um, and and they actually do have cancel for any reason uh, enhancements on their um, on their plans. Um, but it's you know it's important to to know that uh, the other insurance components again are this sort of single provider and um, the the coverage limits may be uh, you know again you you can likely find a, a, a plan with um, more cost effective and with, with better coverage limits um, in a comparison site um, but nevertheless. Um, the yeah the, the the cruise companies are going to have a um a, a decent offering there you go last question for you is something that i think maybe people who uh start to cruise a lot i i ran into this um with annual plans because you know yeah. we're kind of talking about this with individual plans but can you explain when an annual travel insurance policy starts to make sense compared to buying individual policies so an annual plan is going to really uh, become a, a, a consideration if you are traveling uh, three, four uh, plus times a year uh, and where the trip cancellation or the trip costs for uh, your trips don't exceed a, you know, call it, um, you know, four or $5,000 uh, amount. So, uh, you know, historically, uh, annual plans have provided primarily the uh, medical and evacuation coverage and some of the other post-departure benefits, uh, baggage loss, baggage delay, trip delay, and so forth. Um, and you know, only recently have uh, plans start to incorporate a trip cancellation component, but that trip cancellation is typically capped at a certain uh, level, and it's... Um, it's not necessarily a per trip uh, cap, it's a cumulative cap. So if you exhaust the trip cancellation component on the first trip, 
uh, in, you know, early in your annual plan, uh, you may not have enough coverage for subsequent trips. Nevertheless, it's it, it can be cost effective for travelers who um, who don't want to have to deal with um, a, you know, a purchase each time. You know, th these are frequent travelers. And, um, and uh, but if you were to compare an annual plan uh, versus the cost of like a, a, a policy for one or two trips a year, an annual plan is going to be generally more expensive. Absolutely. Well, uh, again, you can check out uh, travelinsurance.com. This is uh, Stan's website where you can go. And as I talk about all the time, you know, just compare plans, see what they offer, find the one that's right for you. I really think that I won't go as far as say that everybody should get travel insurance, but I think everybody should at least consider it for their own situations. Sure. And uh, it's something that peace of mind is worth something to me. As I've gotten older, <laughs> I've realized that. For and sure. Imagine traveling without it. So uh, check it out. Sam, thank you so much for helping us out here today because I think a lot of people are going to maybe have a better sense of what to look for when they shop around for travel insurance. Well, thanks a lot, Matt. It was uh, great speaking with you today and, and sharing some insights with your audience. And, um, and uh, you know, uh, highly encourage people to visit the site. Uh, there's tons of information. And if you can't find the information, we have uh, plenty of resources that uh, with, with uh, representatives that can help you find it. It is time to answer listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer the emails that you've sent me. You can always email me by sending it to matt at royalgreenblog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalgreenblog.com. First question is from Helene. Hi, I was just thinking about taking a cruise in October, December, or January, and was wondering what you suggest to find others to look cruisers and maybe be able to hang out with. What do you suggest? Great question. Uh, you know, there's not a surefire way, but there's a couple things that I would do. And hopefully one of them works for you on your particular sailing, because inevitably, I think it just depends on who's on the sailing. Some strategies may work for one cruise and not for another, so your mileage may vary. Number one, I would definitely join a roll call for your cruise. Roll calls are basically, depends on the form. Like we have roll call threads on realgreenblog.com on our message boards. There's also Facebook groups for individual sailings. And you could join these and introduce yourself and mention you're looking for to meet other people on board. Essentially, they are a place to go to to meet other people on board this cruise and just talk about your sailing. It's not necessarily that you're going there to make new friends, it's just a, a communal opportunity for everybody on the same sailing to, you know, kind of introduce each other, maybe meet up on the cruise. Some roll calls are more active than others. Sometimes it's just really a couple people saying, hey, I'm gonna be on the same cruise as you. Other times people organize events and really meet up and hang out. But that would be probably number one, what I would suggest to you. It's probably the most surefire way to hopefully meet somebody. Uh, I think it would be your best bet. Because beyond that, obviously once you're on board the ship, you can do your best to go to certain venues and I don't know how, how much of a social butterfly you are, but meet people there. And generally I find that when you're at the bar and it, it kind of, there are certain bars I think that are really, people get a chance to talk to each other more often than not. The pool bar, and that includes both the pool and the sky bar, depending on which ship you're on. The casino bar is very conversational. I think I get into more conversations at the casino bar than almost any other bar on the ship. 
And then it also depends on which ship you're on, because there are certain venues that have bars that are more talkative. You know, the Mason Jar Bar in Wonder of the Seas is one of them, but obviously only Wonder has that. But, you know, the more opportunity you get to just be out there, you know, that's more luck than anything else, right? In terms of actually, I mean, there's sometimes Royal Caribbean does solo events on board, where they're like single cruiser meetup or something like that. Uh, how well attended they are tends to be pretty hit or miss. And in my experience, it's more miss than hit. So I really think meeting people before the cruise on a roll call is your best bet. And as I mentioned, we do have a roll call forum over at royalgreenblog.com on our message board. Next email is from Diana. Do you know if kids over 12 are also considered adults for port excursions? I'm trying to figure out pricing. Minors cannot do excursions alone, but minors over 12 are also charged at adult pricing. Please and thanks. And yeah, essentially that is how they describe it. I mean, when you go to book it, the thing is it takes the guessing work out of it because Royal Caribbean already knows when how old everybody is in the room, right? Because they already booked you on there. And so when they when you go through the process of booking a tour, it's gonna say, okay, who's going on the tour, right? And you will select yourself and whatever kids you have, and it applies the correct pricing. There's no guessing game when it comes to a Royal Caribbean excursion. And so it can absolutely be 12 years old. Also depends on the excursion. Sometimes the price is the same for adults and kids. This is usually the case for more universal type uh, things. Like if it's a bus ride, usually it's the same price, but it kind of depends on the tour there, Diana. So hopefully that answers your question. Next email is from Tanner from Canada. I hope the group cruise on Navigator of the Seas was a blast. My wife and I sailed Navigator for the first time this past April and did a four and seven night back to back. We really enjoyed the Bamboo Room. I thought it was the best bar at sea. And by the way, that's also a really good place to meet, but that's my thoughts on the not Tanner's. Anyway, with that said, it seems strange that Utopia of the Seas is gonna have a pesky parrot, which by all indications is just a tiki bar, just like the Bamboo Room. Am I overthinking this or is it somewhat strange? If Bamboo Room on Navigator and Mariner have been a hit, why create the same concept all over again, especially considering the Bamboo Room is still new? What are your thoughts? Uh -huh. You know, I think, I, I don't know more than you do. My thought is they just didn't, Royal Caribbean, maybe didn't think it was a hit or a hit enough to continue it. They wanted to do Tiki Bar, but in a slightly different twist and it wasn't close enough to the Bamboo Room. I mean, they're both Tiki Bars, but they wanted to change it up a little bit. And and that's not uncommon. I mean, look, some, we, we've seen Royal Caribbean, they have, at this point, three different Italian restaurants, right? Giovanni's Italian Table, Giovanni's Italian Kitchen, and Jamie's, right? Different approach to the cuisine in different situations there. But I, I think that, quite frankly, I'm not sure that I was strange. Um, I think it's just them trying to iterate and say, okay, if Bamboo Room was 1.0, let's just say, then the Pesky Parrot is 2.0. And it's sufficiently different that they didn't feel like it was worth continuing for whatever reason, I don't know. But uh, that's how, that's my thought, take on it, quite frankly. Tanner's other question, which is unrelated. With Celebrity now scheduled to be docking at Cook Key, my fear is that it will drive up cabana prices and day beds and everything else even more. In essence, Celebrity is a premium brand with a higher price tag, and theoretically, people selling Celebrity would have more disposable income. While supply and demand concepts are pretty basic, we all know Royal Caribbean Group is out to make a profit, this new arrangement really seems to put the Royal Caribbean Cruiser at a disadvantage beyond what would be considered ethical business. It's one thing to try and snag a cabana when Wonder and Odyssey are in port compared to Independence and Jewel as an example, but throwing in a different subset of the market really blows things up in a bad way. What's your take on Royal Caribbean Group forcing Royal Caribbean Cruisers to compete with the walls of celebrity cruisers? It's a really interesting topic because I think <laughs> you know, what's funny is that I, and this is only anecdotal. I'm not on any research, but it just seems like every time I'm in a celebrity group, you know, I see a post about people who love celebrity and they see this change. If you're not, if you're not aware, uh, celebrity is going to start visiting Coco Key uh, next year. 
and the celebrity people seem to think it's a problem for them because going to Royal Caribbean is a step down. They have a little bit more. I hate this. I don't, I'm not calling celebrity cruisers snobbish by any means, but it's no. I think we can all agree that celebrity is a different approach to cruising than Royal Caribbean. Now, to your question, Tanner, I think you're overstating the gap of experience between celebrity and Royal Caribbean. I think what you're really talking about is more Silver Sea than Royal Caribbean. Celebrity is a premium cruise line, not a luxury cruise line. And there is an important distinction there. It's not just semantics. It's premium. And again, it depends because, you know, premium cruise lines like Celebrity, Princess, I think Holland America falls in this category. And there may be another one or two. But they're in this more of like, it's an, it's an elevated experience from Royal Caribbean, certainly. But it's not like, if this were car brands, I think it'd be more like Buick is to Chevy than Chevy is to Cadillac, if that makes sense. Maybe that's a really bad example, I don't know. But I feel like it's not quite, you know, it's not a luxury line. And I think, I, I do think there is some truth to what you're saying. And I don't think it's the fact that everyone who goes on Celebrity is rich or richer. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. There are some really, if you look at pricing, you can oftentimes find some really good bargain basement rates on Celebrity just as much as Royal Caribbean. And I don't think their pricing is too over the top crazy unless you're doing like Galapagos or something like that. But anyway, will it have an impact on pricing? Yes. I think that, um, I mean, you just have more more people, more, uh, more, more people competing. Now, let's not forget, Tanner, that there's only gonna be two ships in port at any given time. And so what these celebrity ships are doing essentially is filling in the gap with, uh, that was left there. Because there were some days, believe it or not, in which there was only one ship in port. And I've seen this, you know, throughout the year this year. So it does occasionally happen where there's only one ship in port, so they're clearly filling in that gap. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting because, you know, your fear is that it's gonna drive up cabana prices and daybed demand, and it will. I mean, that's what Royal Caribbean wants. You know, this, and listen, the pricing for, for some of these add-ons Kokiki have gone absolutely berserk. You know, you're, I was looking at, we announced a new Royal Caribbean Blog Group Cruise in 2024 on Voyager of the Seas. That's uh, uh, December 29th, if you wanna join us for it. More details at royalcaribbeanblog.com. The, um, what's interesting is, uh, this is December 24 and like a floating cabana at the Coco Beach Club, which is the uppermost cabana you can book is $4,000. That's insane. $4,000 for a couple hours. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of money for what you get. And I thought back in the day, back in the day, not too long ago, you know, $1,700 for the cabana was, was a lot, but that was the uppermost limit, about $1,700 for floating cabana when they first came out. And now they're at $4,000. And listen, they're a for-profit company. They're free to do whatever they want. But do I think that the effect of celebrity is going to potentially drive up prices? Sure, I mean, there's gonna be more demand. That's essentially what they're trying to do there. Again, is it a good business decision? Yes, um, at least from a dollar standpoint, because people are paying for it. This is something that I think a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of conjecture online right now about where pricing is and what's right and wrong. And here's what I'll tell you is that they're still selling them clearly and demand it. People can, whether or not, you know, people are, are complaining and still buying it or the people complaining are just people complaining and there's far more people who are just booking it. I think it's actually the latter more than anything. I do think there are some complainers who still book it anyway. Uh, and, and I'm guilty of this sometimes as well as myself. I'm throwing myself under the bus here. But I think the majority of people on a cruise ship are new to it or are not very well vested to the point that they're, you know, joining Facebook groups or message boards or whatnot. And I think that they are the people that are like, uh, they're gonna splurge. And it's it's pricey, And but they're not the one, they don't pay attention to what the price was in 2019. They have no idea. 
they're just there on a vacation with their family. They want to splurge. They see something that looks pretty cool. You know what? They work hard. They party hard. That's I, that's my only thought. We'll never know without really taking a look at the numbers that Real Carmine will never share. But, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting conundrum uh, currently. And it's it, I think this is very much a pivotal moment in Real Carmine's history as to what's going to happen in the next three to five years in terms of pricing, in terms of what the model is. Because Real Caribbean has enjoyed, you know, despite all the challenges of the pandemic and everything that happened from 2020 on, they, ever since they restarted operations in 2021, they have enjoyed, quite frankly, some amazing demand, incredible demand that just continues. It's the reason why the prices are high, so high. I mean, among other reasons, but since Cruising restarted in 21, they were selling these things out like hotcakes, you know? And if you're a business and you're, and you're selling things out like hotcakes, guess what? You raise the price of the hotcakes a little bit. Now, you might say, well, a little bit, not a lot. That's a whole other debate for another day. What's fair, what's not? I don't know. But it's something I'm thinking about, and Tanner's question certainly conjured up in my mind. And, you know, the nice thing about Coco Key is, ultimately, I think this is what I kind of just, you know, I look at the prices, I shake my head, and I move on because you can still have a great day at Coco Key without any of those things. There's so much part of the core experience that's there that's complimentary. The beach is the pool. That, like, if I don't have a cabana, that doesn't mean I have a bad time at all. It's actually, it's just you know, a, a different type of way to, to have a good time there, but I can certainly have a great time at Cookie without spending another dime. So, you know, that's something that, that helps at least deal with it more so than if you're talking about cruise fare, because cruise fare, you're not gonna be at the cruise fare, you're not getting on the cruise, right? That's a whole different issue. Anyway, I've rambled on here a lot about various things, uh, kind of tangentially related to Tanner's question, but it's a really interesting. Next, we have an email from Jenna from Toronto, Canada. Hi, long time listener, first time emailer, love the podcast. Question regarding the drink vouchers for Diamond and Above Guests. My husband and I sell from New Jersey in September, and it's our first selling since turning Diamond. We've opted not to, not to purchase the deluxe beverage package and have only bought the refreshment package for the first time ever. We are confident, and have done the math many times, that we will not spend more on drinks over the course of our cruise than the difference to upgrade to the deluxe package would cost us. Four vouchers per day per person should be good for us considering the refreshment package will account for my husband's iced coffee addiction. But I do have a few questions I would love to know before we sell. Can I purchase a Red Bull with a refreshing package? Yes. We're aiming to save one voucher per day to purchase a bottle of wine at dinner. I see the fine print that you can redeem a voucher to buy a bottle of wine under $100 for 40% off. My questions are, can I redeem this voucher in the main dining room or would I need to purchase it beforehand so I had vintages to have it ready for dinner? I've been told by friends that the vouchers are hard to redeem in the main dining room staff. Don't honor them. Is this true? It's a half truth. Um, you can absolutely redeem in the main dining room. Um, the the main, you can always get your drink vouchers in the main dining room. The issue with the main dining room, just using your, your diamond drink vouchers, I have found, is that sometimes they're a little confused by them. They don't see them that often, I guess. I don't know. In fact, it's actually usually the opposite. Usually, like, we'll go there and I'll, you know, order two drinks with dinner with my diamond vouchers. And then I realized later on in that evening that I never got charged for them because I guess whoever did it didn't actually bother swiping it or whatever. But if you're ordering a bottle of wine, they're going to charge you for it and they're going to make sure that's applied there. Obviously, if there's an issue, you just ask to speak to the head waiter, but there should be absolutely no reason why you need to go somewhere else to get your bottle of wine. Certainly you could and bring it over there. That's totally fine. But, you know, why do that, I suppose? Just go to the main dining room, let them know what you want to do, and I'm sure they'll be able to help you out with that. So thank you, Jenna, for the email. Time for another email or two here, starting with an email from... Nicole, who writes, Hi Matt, I've done Royal Caribbean twice in the past and loved it. This summer, we decided to try a different cruise, Princess, and have decided to come back to Royal Caribbean. 
The service was just so much better on Royal. Plus, your podcast is a great deal to do with why we keep booking Royal. Do you know why there aren't any sailings at Fort Lauderdale uh, port in June 2024? Seems very odd. I wanted to book a group cruise, but it's too expensive for us. Have fun. Nicole, great question. In a lot of cases, number one, uh, summer, you're talking about June, that's summer. And summer is the slow season in the Caribbean. A lot of ships go over to Europe. And that's primarily why I think Royal isn't offering cruises from Fort Lauderdale without actually looking at the schedule um, off the top of my head, although I could do that as I'm speaking here. But I'm not surprised. Basically, once you get to about spring, a lot of ships shipped over to Europe. And you're gonna find less cruises to choose from in the summer months from certain ports in North America, or just in general. I mean, there's always gonna be cruises out of, you know, Port Canaveral and Miami and, and Cape Liberty but there are less sailings in the summer compared to certainly the winter time, which is the busy season for cruises in the Caribbean. So when you're looking at all this and you're trying to figure out exactly, you know, what's, what's offered there, that could be the case. Now I am looking at the Royal Caribbean website and this may have been when you sent the email versus today, but you put in June, ah, June is missing. It's the only month actually. Uh, there's January, every month in 2024 is a cruise out of uh, Fort Lauderdale, except for the month of June which to me points to whatever ship is there. Let's see, what ships are there between May and July? Whatever ship is there must be going for refurbishment or something. And that's why it's out of commission for a month. That's the only thing I can think of, but it is strange that it's just one month because originally I was expecting not to see anything for the entire summer. But you've got Freedom. Yeah, it's gotta be Freedom. I see Freedom and Symphony as available options and I'm guessing Symphony probably goes to Europe. So I'm guessing it's Freedom that's really missing. And yeah. Frida must be going in for her dry dock. She got hers last done in uh, 2020, 20, end of 2019. So that makes some sense. I'm guessing that's the reason why. And it's just, just the month of June. So what I said earlier was still true. There are less cruises, but uh, it looks like given that it's only one month, that it's probably related to a dry dock or something. Like that. All right, well, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. If you can... If you want to send me your emails, uh, you can always do so by sending to Matt, M-A-T-T, at Royal Caribbean Blog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon.